0: So, Grace College Evening Service, I am obviously not Jacob Smith, although maybe some days I slightly wish I was a little bit, because he's just so cool, He does such a good job of teaching, Uh, but I'm not. My name is Lane, I am a youth leader at Southwood, Uh, so I was there when Jacob was there before he moved up to be the big, bad college pastor that he is now, um, back when he was just a scrub doing youth ministry and teaching occasionally, mostly just playing with kids. But, so that's how I know Jacob, that's kind of how uh, I've known Jacob, and he's kind of given me the opportunity to come up here and teach with you guys. And yeah, that's pretty much it. We're going to go through the life of David today, but in order, I feel like, to better um, just appreciate the the goodness of this talk. We need a little bit more background information on myself. Uh, You need to learn a little bit more about me before you, I guess, count me as a credible source. And so when I was growing up, um, I grew up like most young boys do, and I was convinced that the only way to come into manhood started with a treehouse or a fort. Right, And that's what Hollywood has kind of taught us, and they, they give us these extravagant treehouses that somehow a six-year-old with a hammer and a saw has put together with no adult supervision, but it's got floors on floors on floors and, and slides and, and ladders everywhere, and that's a little bit mind-blowing because most students are here for four years to be architects, but they figured it out in first grade, so you're wasting your money. Just go build treehouses, right? Um, and I was I was convinced of that. And so I, I wanted this thing. I wanted this treehouse because like I can never be a man unless I have this place that I have come with my bros sipping on juice boxes away from the ladies and just experiencing this fort. And so in that want, in that desire, uh, we, we moved to this house in Georgetown where I'm from. And in the house, uh, we had a half acre backyard, it was the biggest backyard I had had as a kid. And there's this tree in the back corner. And I was convinced at that time that we had solely bought this house for my treehouse. That is why we moved, because I needed somewhere to hang out to get away from my siblings who were just awful, right? Um, But I needed that place to get away, and my dad, even at one point, was like, that's the tree. And the skies opened up, and the sun shone down, and I was like, man, that is where I'm going to build my treehouse. That's where I'm going to become a man and build all my memories, My dad was like, that's going to be the one, right? There's even a point where we built a ladder and it nailed it to the tree. And it was like, we were like staking our flag on the moon, right? This is where greatness was going to happen. And my, my, my dad would promise me, he would tell me, like, man, we're going to build this treehouse. we're going to build this fort, because he saw this desire from his son, and he, and he continued to promise me, and I'd be like, one weekend, I'd be like, all right, dad, when are, when are, we, when are we building it, right? We need to make, like, a Home Depot trip eventually, right? I need two-by-fours, plywood everywhere. And he's like, oh, well, you've got basketball this weekend, we're kind of busy, You're like, maybe next weekend, maybe two weekends from now, maybe next semester, maybe next school year. And, and eventually, I would discover girls, and so the treehouse wasn't as appealing, right? But... And my brother, when I was younger, he would tell me, because he's six years older than me, he would tell me, like, dude, you're not getting a treehouse. I'm like, what? Why? And he's like, dude, you don't think I didn't want a treehouse when I was younger? Have you ever seen any sort of fort in our backyard at any time? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm dad's favorite, and you're B-team, so get in line. <laughs> and, and, and that was where I was going, and I, and I bought into this, and I bought into this promise because my dad was like, I'm going to give you this thing. And, and, I, and I put my foot in the door, and I was like, yeah, let's go for it. And I wanted that. And the reason I say that is because we buy into people's promises every day, right? Because we know that when someone gives us their word, when someone gives us a promise, we, we focus in. We, we want that, right? They have promised us something. They owe that to us as soon as they have opened their mouth. And I say that because where we're at in the life of David as we've gone through is we're at a promise that God has given him. And I say that because if God is promising something, we better get on board. Because God's not like my dad, right? Like, he's going to do what he says that he's going to do if we believe that God is who he is. Right, he's not like my dad. He's like, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. And I, to this day, like my future son, will never have a treehouse for two reasons. One, I don't want to make a promise that I can't keep. Two, if I didn't have it when I was a kid, my kids aren't getting it. All right, that's good. That's a that's a hard and fast rule. I want a better childhood than them. Maybe that's selfish. I guess we'll I guess we'll figure out one day. Right. So so we're going to move into these things called. Called covenants. And we're going to look specifically at the Davidic covenant. We're going to look at this promise that God has specifically given David. And he's going to give him such an awesome promise. And it impacts us today, and it's beautiful. And as we look across the Old Testament, we're going to see that God gives multiple people promises, right? He gives Abraham a promise, and he's like, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to have as many kids as there are, stars in the sky, sand on the beaches. It's going to be awesome. And he continues on, right? And Moses is going to lead God's people out of Egypt, and he's going to give Moses a promise. He's going to say, look, I'm giving you these commands. If you can follow these commands, I will take care of your people. I will do these good things for you. And they all line up with each other, and we move, and we're going to move into David's promise. And what we're going to find... Is a lot of cool things, but I, I feel like in order to understand David's promise, if you weren't here last week, we need to know a little bit about Jacob's talk last week because Jacob kind of, he kind of set me up, right? He kind of put a ball on a tee for me, right? Because Jacob talked about this, this moment where David had these plans. He was going to build this temple to glorify God. He had this good plan for the Lord, right? He, he had a good heart behind it. Even his buddy Nathan was like, hey, the Lord's with you. Go do it and he had made these plans, and God steps in, and he gives him a hard and fast no, right? He says, that's not going to happen, right? And all these plans that David has are crumbling around us, and we know exactly how David feels, especially in college and in our four years, because we make plans. We want to be in these organizations. We want to be a leader of this. We want to have this job, this relationship. We want to get married to this person afterwards, and we can only see within about six years and that, or you know, like maybe seven, eight, nine. Some of us are going to be here for a very long time with multiple degrees because we don't want to join the real world. But that—that's where we're at, and so we feel that for David and Jacob. Kind of moves on, and he's like, "But, but we need to—we need to be where David was at. We need to respond to God's no and the stillness and be able to sit in the stillness. And if you're anything like me, and maybe it's just because I'm a terrible person, I'm sitting there and I'm like." I don't don't really know exactly how David got to the stillness, right? Because I've been there and I've seen when God is going to take everything and he's going to strip everything, and my response is not usually to sit. My response actually never is really to sit. I'm a jittery person. I like to move around. I'll probably do like a thousand laps back and forth on this carpet throughout the talk. But that isn't my response when God takes everything. And so when I left last week, I was like, why can David sit in the stillness? Why can he have everything taken from him, all his plans changed, and still just sit and wait and see what the Lord is going to do? And the reason for that is because we kind of took a hop, skip, and a jump last week, right? We kind of covered the first half, cut straight to the ending, and we, we missed the middle. And the middle is God's promise, right? And the middle is the why. So this summer, I went on a little bit of a bike trip and uh, we started in Virginia Beach and we, we biked down to Austin, Texas in about 30 days. And uh, we'd been planning this for like two years, me and I guess two of my dumbest friends who would ever go on that trip with me. But we, we planned this trip and we had all this planning behind it. And something you need to know about bike trips is there are kind of two options. You can go online and you can basically like buy a map where someone did all the work for you. And it's like, dude, all we have to do is start here and bike here and follow everything in between. Uh, but we wanted to take a different route. So we were like, just make our own map it's not that hard most of us haven't left like the states that border Texas but I'm sure everything out there is just normal um and so we we take this trip we make these plans and what happens is we get to Virginia Beach and we start our first day and it's like a 70 mile day and we get about halfway in and we look at our map and we're like well, a lot of these roads aren't marked. Uh, some of them are dirt, and that's not good for road bikes, just in case you know anything. Like, that's basically going to be brokenness halfway across the country, and then we just, like, die there. And that's an epic start and an epic finish all within 24 hours, right? But... That's what we would leave us. And I was like, oh, that's just first day problems, man. It's no big deal. But what would happen is about 25 out of the 30 days would go that way. And I was kind of a little bit frustrated. And my buddy, he would continue to tell me, like, dude, it's going to be all right. Like, it's going to work out. It's no big deal. I'm like, dude, you don't know that? Your, like, weird route that you have made around this area is an extra 20 miles on top of our 80. I'm only 140 pounds. I don't have enough muscle to carry me any farther than where we're at, right? And I would get frustrated because my plans kept falling apart on this trip, and they kept falling apart. But the issue was, the reason I was mad is because I wasn't sure of what was in front of me. I wasn't sure of that it's it's all right promise. I couldn't be sure of it. I didn't know it was going to happen five miles down the road, ten miles down the road. And as believers, we forget the things of God. And when things fall apart, we feel like we can't be sure because we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what God's done. We haven't looked into it. We're not reminding ourselves. So we need a reminder. We need to know why. Why can I trust God? What has he done? Who is he that I can just sit in the stillness and respond to God? And so what we're going to find ultimately is that God's plan is bigger, and that is incredibly cliche, but incredibly true. It's everything every best friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, has ever told you when anything got hard. They're just like, man, god, God's god got a plan, and it's bigger, and it's better, and you're just like, that's great, 27 other people told me that. But we're going to see why his plan is bigger. We're going we're gonna to walk through this covenant, and we're going to see exactly what God is up to, what he is up to, then what he was up to before David, what he's going to be up to after David, Because God's plan is consistent, it is good, and we're going to see the why. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that God's plan has perspective. Right? When we jump into 2 Samuel 7, which is where we were last week, it's where we're going to be at this week. We see verses 8 and 9. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. We'll jump to 16. Oh, no we won't. We'll jump to 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is really cool, because within like five verses... God is telling David, right, like when you when you look at 10 and 11, God is saying, dude, you were a shepherd chasing sheep and occasionally fighting like lions to protect your sheep, which is cool because I've never fought a lion, right? But, but God was there, right? He's reminding, he's like, man, you were just taking care of sheep, and I was there, and I pulled you on to the next thing, and you defeated a giant, and I was there, and I would pull you on, and I would bring you through all the debacle with Saul that we've gone through. And I would bring you through all that. And that's why you're able to be here. Because I was here before you. Right? So he proves, like, well, I've, I've t- already taken you so far. I've taken you up to this point. But God goes one step further and he says, after you're gone, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing the whole time. I'm going to take care of your offspring. I'm going to give you a line after you go. And he's going to be the one to build the temple. I'm going to establish a king with him. The temple that you want to build, you're never going to see it, but your son, he's going to build it and it's going to happen. And I'm going to take care of it after you're gone. I was here before and I was here after. And what we see is that God has incredible perspective. He has incredible, pers- incredible perspective. right? Like I talked about earlier, our perspective might just be this week. Like We're like, man, I've got 17 tests. I'm an engineer. That is very difficult. I can barely count past 10, so I don't even know how you guys live, right? But we can't even see past this week. We can't see past graduation because what are we focused on? After graduation, oh, I better get a job or else I'm going to be underneath a bridge. And I already proposed to this girl and promised her a future of protection and a roof over her head. And right now I'm working at McDonald's and that does not pay for roof. All right. and, And that's Our perspective is this time period. And the problem with that is that God's perspective isn't that. Even if I'm able to go back and have perspective over my whole life, that's like 21 years, which is like nothing at all, right? God has a perspective. He was there before and he was there after. And as we kind of look through that and we think of this perspective, we think of this eternal perspective that God has. I think of a mountain in China that you may know Mount Everest. If you don't know it, I don't know how you're in college. You should open a book. Um, But I think of this mountain, one, because for me, I feel like it might take an eternity to climb said mountain. A lot of that has to do with I'm not very athletic. Uh, I don't have very much of a build to me, and I hear you have to have upper body strength to pull yourself up occasionally. Um, But but I think of this mountain, and the funny thing about Mount Everest is it's got like a 30% success rate. That's, like, not high at all. If I'm going to do something, it's because I want to actually accomplish it. And if the odds are against me, I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds terrible. I'm set up for failure. Statistics say, like, no. And so it's got a 30% success rate. It's got, like, a 3% death rate. Um, I'm into doing things that have a 0% death rate uh, because I like living and falling from mountains is not my cup of tea, right? Like, if I have to risk that, I don't want any part of it. But the funny thing about 3,000 people having completed something is that someone had to be the first, right? Like, there's the first at everything, and, and, and if you've done it and no one else has, that means you're the first. Congratulations, you're a pioneer of whatever you are. Maybe you're like a Jenga world champion, and you were the first one. Uh, but that, that would make you the first. And so if there's a first at Mount Everest, they probably played a hand in the next 2,999 Right, They probably played a hand in that. What we look is we look at the two first climbers, the very first people to climb it, about 60 years ago. They're on this expedition, right? which also they're extra dumb compared to the regular mountain climbers because they're doing something that has a 0% success rate and still some sort of percentage of death rate. So like, the odds are super against them. But they go, and they climb this mountain, and they make it to the top to so only spend 15 minutes at the top of this mountain, 15 whole glorious minutes of no oxygen and a lot of cold weather. Both things that I love oxygen, hate cold weather. That's why I live in Texas. It's a beautiful place. It's the greatest nation in the world, right? But... They make it to the top of this mountain for 15 minutes. Uh, If you don't know anything about mountains, it's not like an afternoon thing. Like It's not just like going for a picnic. It takes days. You have to camp out on the mountain. And these guys go and they use nine different camps to make it to the top of Everest. And the cool thing about those nine different camps is that four of them are still used today. 60 years later, four camps on a mountain are still used for the other 2,999 people to make it to the top. And I don't think that that's a stroke of luck. I don't imagine that someone's climbing and they're just like, man, good thing we took all the right steps today. And now we're at this camp that's already like, looks like it's been settled 2,900 times. God bless. He provides, right? Um, I don't think that that's just a coincidence. I think What we know about people who are first is when you know someone who's the first to do something, you come to them and you're like, hey, I want to do that. How do I do that? What we know is that these people who climbed Everest, they would come down and they had video of the entire thing. There's a cameraman with them, which I guess also makes him the first person to climb Everest. He just doesn't get any recognition, which is a sad story for anybody wanting to go into media. But they have video of the whole thing. And they would have come down and he would have said, They would have said, how did you do this? And you know what? They would have been like, look, we camped out in all these places. We did this, 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 and this. Why? Because they weren't worried about that first climb. They weren't worried about their one climb. They weren't worried about this one perspective of this one moment. They wanted other climbers to make the climb. They wanted other people to be successful. And 60 years later, after both of them have passed away, there are still people climbing Everest, and they will never see it. But people are still going to climb it. People are still going to do it. Why? Because these people set them up and had a perspective, not of just this one climb, not of this one moment, but they had a perspective that I want this to span across so other people after me can do it. And God has this perspective that isn't about our four years in college, our six years in college, our eight years in college plus grad school, our doctorate. God's perspective is not that. His perspective is, is, is past your dating relationship. It's past your marriage. It's past all that. Not that they're not good things, but his perspective is beyond it. And when we can understand God's perspective, we can slowly begin to understand why we can trust him right, if we start to make our plans within God's perspective, if we start to make our plans not in that perspective, and we start to say, how is this going to impact eternity and the things that come after me, then you're slowly settling into God's plan. Because that's something he's saying yes to. That's something he says yes to David, right? So the cool thing about these climbers, right, is that they, they impacted a time period after them, but the way that they did it was through people, right their legacy lives on through more and more people climbing everest right their legacy lives on because they were like hey we stayed at these camps and these are here for you today through people and what we're going to see is that God's plan is always 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 through and for his people and david is no exception right so, God's promise to David, he says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now we jump to 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. So, there are three things that God is going to promise David. It's kingdom, house, and throne, right? His kingdom was going to expand. Lands were going to expand, and that was for his people. His throne, David and all of his line after him, were going to have the right to the throne. So David's taking care of, his son's taking care of, his son's sons are taking care of. They're going to have the right to the throne. His whole house is going to have the right to the throne. And what we know, what we see, is that God's plan is enacted through David. He uses David for the betterment of people, for the betterment of the expansion of a kingdom. And so as we look into the second piece of why we can be confident in God, it's because his plan is always through and for his people. There is no other plan that we should be able to count on more than a plan that is for us, even when it looks like it's stacked up against us, even when we have to change our major, change our job, get out of a relationship, whatever, his plan is stacked up in our favor. It has been from the beginning of time. When we look at his promise to Abraham, he tells them, hey, like, you're going to have all these nations. It's going to be awesome. I'm promising you all these things, but your people are going to spend like 400 years in slavery. Um, And ironically, they do, and then God brings them out of it. Everything he has said comes, and even if it's completely awful, his people come through it, and his plan continues as we look through the Old Testament. Right, because God's plan is always, always through and for his people. But the funny thing is when we in the church think of of what what are we going to do to change people's lives? What are we going to do to to just get right there on their level and serve them? We think of these like huge awesome stories that are going through blogs on Facebook or viral videos or whatever and we're like, "Oh my gosh, that was so heartwarming. That person sold like everything and now they sleep on a curb and give all their money to orphan children in California." Like I don't like that's that's what we think of. We're like, I cannot serve people in that well. We think of these stories like a man Dobri Dobev. And if I butchered that, you can come up to me afterwards and we can talk about it and talk about how I can't read so well. But we think of this man who is turning 100 years old this year, which is like a really long time. I hope I never make it to 100 because I don't imagine I can do anything cool up to this point. Uh, mostly because I'm not him. But he, he goes and he's, he's 100 years old and he's a homeless beggar and he begs on the feet of a church. And he begs on the feet of a church and he takes this money and he walks 25 kilometers. I say kilometers not because I'm British, but because he is. And so <laughs> that's what it's measured in. Um, don't worry, I'm still hard and fast with miles. I love it. But he walks 25 kilometers. And he gives the money to orphan children, that's what it does he doesn 't keep a dime of it for himself he 's not like, well, I'm, I keep ninety percent and live in an awesome house, and then I toss another ten percent the orphan 's way. I just walk because it sounds cooler. I own a Ferrari. No, he walks and gives them everything that he is getting at one hundred years old right i don 't want to walk twenty five kilometers now. I definitely don 't in seventy nine years but that 's what he does that 's how he serves people. Why? Because he knows that God's plan is for his people. That's what he knows. But a lot of us came to college and want a degree, so that way we don't have to beg for money for orphans, right? I I understand that. I have a degree also. Well, not yet, but hopefully. We'll see. Um, And I get that, but serving people can be so much smaller than that sometimes. So spring break, uh, I went up to Lubbock with my girlfriend to spend some time with her older brother who coaches high school football up there and see some of her friends and, um, Lubbock is about as great as we all think it is, not very, um, but we go up there and while we're up there, she's like, oh, hey, let's, uh, let's go see our friend, my friend Jordan, because she worked at student life with her over the summer, she doesn't get to spend a lot of time with her, and I was like, yeah, Jordan's great, let's go ahead, um, and we started to spend time with Jordan, so we're, like, wanting to hang out. And she's like, okay, well, what do you guys want to do? And I'm like, oh, well, since I can count all the times I've been to Lubbock on, like, one finger, let me tell you all the things that I love to do in this town. Right? Um, and she's like, well, how, how about we go get coffee? And I'm like, don't you hate coffee? She's like, well, yeah, but you guys love coffee, so we can go. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go do something that you're going to hate the whole time. Right? Like, that sounds awful for all of us. She's just going to be there like, I really enjoy my water glass." Um, no. And I'm like, that, that's, I think she's just trying to be, like, sweet, right? Well, then we, we go to lunch with her the next day. And, and the whole time that we've been with her, she's like, hey, do you guys need anything? Can I, can I do anything for you? Can I take your trash? Can I buy you things? I'm like, chill, I just want to go see a movie, right? Like, I don't, I don't need somebody waiting on me hand and foot. If I did, I would have never left home. Um, but we go to lunch the next day. And again, she's like, hey, can I just take your trash? Can I, can I, can I do that? Can I get you, like, a salsa while we're up? And I'm like... Yes, sure. Take it all. Let me pile up your arms, actually. This is great. I wasn't going to leave my seat. Thank you. And we get in the car, and I I look at Haley, and I'm like, is she always like that? Like, is she always just serving, or is that like a show that she's putting on this weekend while we're here? And she's like, no, all summer at Student Life. Like, we would wake up to do rec fields, and she would wake up and help us. And I'd be like, "Why, why are you doing this? And Jordan would just say, well, I would feel guilty if I got extra sleep while you were out here working. And I just laugh at that because I love extra sleep. I'm taking every moment I can to sleep in until like 12 o'clock, eat breakfast at one, coffee at two, head to class, right? That's like, that's my jam. And so I'm just like, why? Because she gets it that God's plan is for his people and she gets that even though she's serving them in this small, what looks like to be an insignificant way that it glorifies God. That's how she's going to participate in his plan. Because God's plan is always through and for his people. And so as we look at God's plan, and we think, man, it's through and for his people. That's great, because I'm a person, and I want things. I want God to do things for me, and if his plan is for me, then everything else is going to line up with that. I'm going to graduate, be debt-free, ha! And I'm going to do all these things, and live in this place, and have all these things I want, because his plan is for me. that's not exactly it. Right? As As we begin to look and we're going to cheat ahead a little bit and we're going to look at David's prayerful response in the still. And we see that God's plan is ultimately for his glory. And we wrestle with that in the church. We don't like to say that we wrestle with it, but we wrestle with it, right? Because we're like, but His, but I had the, the things that I was going to do, like, great. Right, I was going to start an orphanage, right? I'm like, come on, God's glory, well, I had plans. And we look at that. And and we wrestle with it. We don't like to wrestle with it because we we like to sit and worship and like, God, I'm giving it all to you as long as I can go home and still have all of my things, right? That's what happens. It's rough. But we don't actually have a problem with it in other people's lives, right? Look at David's prayer. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be our people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. What we see in David's peripheral he he understands completely. That everything that God's been doing in time is specifically for His glory. And David recognizes that. And I think that's a lot of the reason why He can come and be in this stillness when everything's taken, when His plans are changed. I think that's why He can sit in this stillness. Right? Because He realizes that our leadership, our organizations, our clubs, our part time jobs, our classes, our degree, our dates, our relationships, our marriages are nothing if they're not for His glory. They're nothing. But, but we don't see it that way in other people's lives, right? So I have this friend, uh, Caleb. He goes here, he's in the Corps, and I grew up with him in high school. And Caleb loved Michael Bay movies, right? If you don't know who Michael Bay is, he's who made Transformers. Um, and it's not because David's, David, Caleb's like a Transformer nut, right? Like he never watched a cartoon. He loves it specifically because he's a man and he loves explosions. And if you're a man and you don't love explosions, you should walk out now and go blow something up. Your life will be changed forever. Not a building, maybe like a controlled explosion in your backyard, but Caleb loved those things. He loved fast and free because he loved fast cars. The actual joke with our friends was if something doesn't blow up or drive by fast that looks expensive in the first five minutes, he's just going to get up and walk out or fall asleep. Because it's not his movie. Like, it can be the most well-written, perfect script. And he's like, no, nah, peace out. I didn't see, like, anybody die. No explosions. I'm gone. This is not fun for me. And people just be like, dude, these movies aren't even great. Terrible script. Bad playwright. Just a lot of, like, boom. That's all they are. There's nothing to them, right? And, and I, I love music. Um, and some of you may not always agree with the music that I like which I guess is okay. Uh, but I love music. And one of my favorite things to do is listen to the radio and be like, this is all garbage. The world is going down the drain because music is terrible. And this is what the kids these days are listening to. i like, oh, the generation below me. Right? But but that's how I feel about music. Right? Because and, and when we find artists that we love, when we find movies that we love, man, we praise them, right? We know that because Frozen will not leave our social media screens. For the love of all things holy, it will not, because people love it and they're like, "Oh, it's the greatest thing ever." The princesses, their sisters. We don't care about boys, right? No. We know that, and we have no problem letting those people take the glory. We have no problem letting our favorite artists take the glory. But as soon as the God of all creation wants glory, you walk away. You do. <laughs> And and I do. Because we we don't care that God wants the glory. He's not making Transformer films. He's just, you know, busy crafting all of time. And we miss it. And it's a shame. Because he crafted it for us to go and glorify him because he deserves the glory more than the musical artists, more than the directors, than the producers of anything, which is really hard because media is awesome and it's 2014, but he deserves it more. And what we're going to see is that in those three things is, is God has this perspective and, and God is always working for his people and God has this purpose and the purpose is for his glory. That as we walk through the promise that he gave David and we look through, through line after line after line and king after king after king and people what we think are playing insignificant roles, we collide with the most important person in history. We collide with Jesus because he came from the line of David. He was part of this promise and we're gonna come head first into him and he's going to mix things up while he's here. And he's going to live a perfect life. And he's going to be murdered after a false trial. And he's going to raise again and he's going to defeat sin and death. And those of us within the church who are believers and firmly believe that, like we're like, hallelujah, raise your hands. God bless what has happened from that promise. But the cool thing about Jesus is it wasn't what the people had planned Right? The people expected this king to come in and be a war hero like David. They expected like Thor to come in and just start kicking butt on anybody that messed with the Israelites. That's what they expected. And instead they got a homeless carpenter. That's what they got. But the cool thing about that is that he was so much better than what they had planned. Because his death and his resurrection would defeat all the things that we are slaves to. Because God's plan is bigger than ours. Everything that God is doing is bigger and better than what we are doing. Not that we aren't gonna do awesome things in our time. I hope that you are able to do awesome things, but I fully hope that they are for the kingdom of the Lord or else you're wasting your time because it's gonna go as soon as you do. So what do we do with that? Right? Like some of us are just gonna leave here like my dreams are gone and it's it's gonna be rough. And some of us are going to leave here and we're like, wait a minute, that dope, that was not what I was going to do at all. And that's hard. And some of us are going to leave here and saying, I didn't even know that God was doing those things, that he was that good. I've never even opened up the Old Testament, which is just time after time God's goodness. So what do we do? I think a good place to start is where David starts in his prayer and he starts remembering the things that God has done. See, God has told him, look, here in your life is what I have done that makes me good. And David takes it one step further and he goes, God, here across time is what you have done that makes you good. Because whether or not you did those things in my life, you've been doing it up until this point. So it has to be true. So maybe what we need to start doing as a church is saying, where's God been good in my life? Where's God been good across time? And that starts with opening up the word and seeing where he's been good there. And that might start with looking back in your life and seeing where he's been good. Maybe you need to start journaling, right? Like even dudes, maybe you need to go buy a journal so you can remember when God was good. I know that's weird. You don't have to start with dear diary, but you need to start remembering when God was good in your life and the things that he has put there for you. Right, we need to look back and we need to make our plans in light of those three points. If they don't have perspective, if they're not for his people, and if they aren't for his purpose of bringing him glory, then you are wasting your time. If you are building your kingdom and you are building things up for you and for you and for you, you're going to die and it's not going with you to the dirt. It's not. It could, but I don't think anybody is in the interest of digging a hole that deep. But that's where we're at. And I think that that's a great place to start with what we do is just reminding us of God's goodness, being like David. And now that we know why we can come to God in the stillness, in that stillness we say, God, you have been good here, here, and here. And though right now looks terrible and dark, it doesn't matter because all of these times before you have pulled me back. And if it's your first time to go through a trial, and it's the first time that God has ripped things, then you go back and you praise God that that's the first time that God has ever taken anything from you. Because it's going to be for his glory and it's going to be for his good. I'll leave you with one last story and then we'll pray and the band will come up and we'll lead in worship. But about a month ago, I was uh, sitting on my back porch with my roommate. Because that's what dudes do. We have like one day a month where we're like, okay, now we'll open up. We'll be serious. The other 29... We'll screw around, but this this is, where, this is where we'll be serious. We'll talk about our emotions, cool? Um, and we, you don't ever, like, sit across from each other either. That's a bad move. You don't want to look into each other's eyes. You're right next to each other. And we sit, and, and, and we're talking, and we start to talk about future things because I'm approaching graduation, and he's going to be graduating in a, a, a couple years. And we begin to talk, and, and we're like, man, like, Real things are around the corner, like like business, second degrees, all these things are coming up, and, and we like, kind of start to freak out while we're talking, like I'm sweating, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're coming so fast. And, and we're talking, and he's like, man, like, what if what God wants me to do has nothing to do with my degree, right? Which I hope what God wants me to do has nothing to do with my degree, because I'm RPTS, and I don't want to work at Yellowstone. But, but he's an engineer, right? and so he's like, what if what God has planned for me has nothing to do with my degree? And that's hard for those of us sitting here, we're like, man, that is tens of thousands of dollars for a piece of paper that like isn't even going to get me a job. And it's like, man, what what if God has something else planned? And I'm like, man, that's totally cool. Like, you you're so you're so smart. You're so good at things. Like, God's gonna have something big for you. And he's like, man, what if I end up under a bridge one day? And I'm like, oh gosh. I like I like had a small heart attack because so I was like, no, not the bridge, right? Like we come to school so that way we don't end up there. And he and he, and he goes, what if? what if I end up under a bridge one day? And before I can even answer, he answers his question with a question. He goes, does, does that make God any less good? And I froze because I was like, oh, he's not actually asking his question. He's about to make a point. Get quiet. It's coming in fast. And, and, and I sit there and I'm like, oh, I'm so ready for this. This is gonna be awesome. And he says, no, it doesn't make God any less good it doesn't make me any less good at all because I can love God and love his people whether I'm in a home, whether I'm in a big home, whether I'm in Texas, whether I'm in Wisconsin. It doesn't matter because God is still God and his plan is still good and I know that his plan involves loving him and bringing him glory and loving his people and if I have to do that under a bridge, then I will be happy under that bridge and I'm just like, oh. like I almost asked him to come teach tonight because I was, your wisdom is beyond my years but I think that's where we need to come to what if God puts us under a bridge? Is he any less good? Is he any less God? Because I don't think so. Let's pray. God, I uh, thank you for tonight. Um, I thank you that we live in College Station and that we can fill a room with college, sta- college students who just want to know you and want to learn more about you, want to love you deeper, who want to love your people and bring you glory. And I thank you for that so much, God. But I pray that we would not leave this room as just another group of college students building our kingdoms, racking up our degrees, racking up our wealth, so that way we can do great things for the next 50 years and then it would all come to an end. Because that would be a tragedy, God. And that is not in line with your plan. And so God, I I just pray that we would take this time, Lord, to to worship you, God, and to bring you glory in that way. And I pray that we would take a little bit of time to let you remind us of your goodness, remind us where you have been good. So that way, we can walk onto campus, whether it be Blinn or A&M, and we can begin to participate in your greater and bigger plan. And so I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for this opportunity. I just pray that you would move violently during worship, God. And just my prayer. Amen.